Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. First of all, how I've been able to give back is just to tell my story because, like you said, a lot of people don't want to pull that curtain. Um, on the outside, you know, they're all smiles and everything looks, um, you know, uh, American pie and, and, you know, milk and, and cookies. And certainly for some, that's quite the opposite is happening in their lives. Today on Life Support, a story of incarceration and a story of hope. Paul's guest once again is David Johnson. David was a business executive who thought he had it all. And then his world crumbled, and now he's able to share the struggles facing every incarcerated individual facing reentry into society. Welcome to Life Support. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was Derek. a golden boy. And all we can do right now is come Extreme together. Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes. So glad you're with us on Life Support, and uh, this program's a little different than some you might hear. We like to tell stories about how Jesus Christ enters into trauma and suffering, and we learn so much more about his work and glorifying him, because life sometimes just simply isn't easy. And uh, we hear some great stories of how God has worked, and we're going to do that today. My guest is David Johnson. He was here uh, last time, too. And David, welcome back. It's so good to have you back. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Yeah, you're um, bravely telling your story. And just to give you a quick recap, um, uh, David rose through the uh, business ranks, um, had a had a very, very good job, um, found uh, that you weren't fulfilled inside. In fact, that you were quite miserable. Um, and you were surprised by that a little bit because you'd worked so hard to get to where you were. And maybe you can just pick it up briefly right there about uh, what happened next, um, just as a recap, so we can get caught up. But at that moment, uh, everything started to unravel, right? Yeah, everything uh, unraveled for me. Um, I uh, I lost my job. Um, my my story was told on on the news in the newspapers. Um, I had um, people that um, I thought I was close with that I lost contact with. Um, I lost uh, my family um, and certainly felt embarrassed, uh, isolated, and alone um, at that moment. Yeah, it does sound like that's because everything that you had pinned your hopes to were all, was all of a sudden gone. You, Yes, everything that I had worked, you know, um, 30, 40 years towards, spent, you know, day and night, working long hours, weekends, uh, everything uh, that I did uh, that pointed to that apex, that uh, zenith of my career, all of a sudden was gone in, uh, you know, minutes, yeah. hours. Uh, everything that I had uh, put blood, sweat, and tears into was gone that quickly. Wow. But God wasn't gone. And uh, you ran into uh, an old friend uh, who introduced you to Christ, right? And, Correct. Uh, so God maneuvered that and uh, changed your life. Changed my life for 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 the greatest uh, part of my life now, which is happening now. Um, as I mentioned last time, I, I God was not in my life at all. Um, old Testament, New Testament. You're speaking German to me. I had no idea what that meant. Um, um, I, I didn't know God to, to, you know, to miss him. And so uh, when my friend uh, Brian Hexath reached out to me and, and talked about seeing the world from a different point of view 
and uh, living your life in a different kind of way, um, he saved me. Um, and, I, and I can't minimize that um, at all. He, he literally saved me because I was going down a horrible path. And uh, when I accepted Christ into my life, um, all things changed for the good. Even despite my circumstances and even knowing where I was going to be headed and spending the next 22 months of my life, um, I, I, I felt some security and safety knowing that God was there, God was in my life, and um, uh, he had my back. You know, it's interesting. We all want to be saved, but we don't want to go through the hardships sometimes that that uh, salvation, uh, you know, it comes with it. Because a lot of times God has to take us to a point where we we have nowhere else to turn. Mm-hmm. Did you find that to be true in your situation? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I think had I continued to go where I was going, God would never have been in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, he would not have been in my children's life uh, in all likelihood. And so even despite this horrible situation that happened, self-inflicted, um, I think it was the best thing that ever happened to me because God was now in my life. And I was seeing things in a different way. And certainly as we were doing our work um, with inside prison, um, we were expanding the kingdom. And so, so God uses you as a conduit to reach out to others. And, and I felt like that's what I and others were doing. And that never would have happened had I been on that other path. And, and maybe I wouldn't have gotten caught. And I would have continued to go down that path. It would have been a very empty life. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I'm doing today, despite having nothing, is much more fulfilling. Yeah. Um, what was it like to have to come back into the world after being in prison, you you had this you know you had a big job. Uh, you'd gone through this kind of personal embarrassment. You go to prison. You have great success there. You know, like you talked about spreading the kingdom, Bible studies, all of that. Now all of a sudden, you're back into society. What was that like for you? Um, much more difficult than I thought. Um, while we were in prison, we we're always told of. Um, you, you know, this won't define you. Um, you'll have second chances. Um, you'll get back on your feet. And, and, and that may be true. And it certainly has, um, you, you know, things are going, uh, well, but it was, it was very difficult. Um, after you leave prison, um, if you leave, uh, via work release, um, you spend, um, at least in my situation, I spent eight months in a halfway house. And so, while I was at that halfway house, um, kind of the policy or, uh, for that or procedure for that particular halfway house is that you can't leave until you have a job. Mm. Um, and so one of the biggest challenges in reentry is finding a job uh, because when you're a felon, um, uh, many employers will not hire you because of your criminal history. And I know we had the movement to, to ban the box. Um, but I, I don't think people realize that's not as successful as you might think, mm-hmm. because in today's world, I can Google you yeah, and I can right. find out whatever I want to find out about you um, um, prior to that interviewing process uh, beginning or initiate being initiated. And so that's a challenge, just trying to find a job, to find an employer that's willing to give you a second chance. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you're also trying to find a place to live. And it's the same thing. Um, you know, uh, uh, renters cannot discriminate based on race and national origin, sex, and all of that. But it's pretty vague on criminal history. And so 
often you're not going to get a true answer in terms of why you didn't get that place. But I think for many of us, we suspect it was because of our criminal history. Mm -hmm. So you're already behind um, trying to find a job and trying to find a face to live in that halfway house. And and you're desperately trying to do that because you want to be able to get out there and see your family again. So you're out, but you're not really out. Yeah. Um, so, so that, that was a challenge. Um, and you almost felt like you're back in prison all over again because the housing arrangements, at least where I was, you started in a six man or an eight man room. Uh, so you're on top of each other. Um, as you're there longer or people leave, you start to get into a four man, mm. then a two man, and then ultimately a one man, but you're, you're on top of each other. Um, when I came out, it was right in the middle of COVID, so it was even harder to get out there and try to find a job, um, and it was even harder to try to connect with people because we had to be a certain distance away. So challenges that everyone in the world faced, uh, but especially so um, when you're incarcerated or in a halfway house. More from Pastor Paul and David in just a moment. This is Steve Johnson, Executive Director of Five Stone Media a co-presenter of this program, and we are honored to introduce to you a brand new video curriculum series called Caring for Mental Health. This 10-part series is available at no cost and is designed to help you and others come alongside those who are struggling with mental health. If you'd like to learn more, go to lifesupportresources.org, lifesupportresources.org. And now back to Pastor Paul. I came out was right in the middle of COVID. So it was even harder to get out there and try to find a job. Um, and it was even harder to try to connect with people because we had to be a certain distance away. So challenges that everyone in the world faced, uh, but especially so um, when you're incarcerated or in a halfway house. Yeah, I, those are all things that we don't think about often. And how can the Christian community, do you think... Um, come around prisoners that are trying to find their way as they're trying to work their way back into society? Well, I I think things um, like Lifeblood series, I think um, activity like you mentioned with uh, you and your wife when you came back to Faribault to talk to uh, the inmates, um, we need that. We need uh, the the inspiration. Uh, We need someone uh, or a group that's going to support you. Um, What's amazing is folks have been in prison for a very long time. So when they come out, the days of filling out an application are over. You, yeah. you, you go to the internet and go to the computer. Mm-hmm. So many people didn't even know how to turn on a computer. Mm-hmm. So that's where some of the folks were at as they were re-entering into the workforce or into the, into the world, I should say. Yeah. Um, the faith-based programs that we had um, in prison were no longer there. That was our rock. That was our foundation. Uh, to have uh, a group of individuals or individual come in and 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 have some fellowship that was all missing when we got to the halfway house, and so we felt almost like we 're right back where we started all alone once again w- without the structure and the foundation there to help us and so I think um, helping people find jobs, helping people. Uh, complete an application, some basic stuff, helping people interview. What does an interview look like? How do I dress? Uh, what do I say? And then having the ability to have that fellowship mm-hmm. and those relationships, those meaningful relationships again, and helping us connect with others that can help us out here find a place to live, find a place to work. 
You mentioned last time that before this all took place, you were kind of living this life where you were presenting on the outside, but inside you were a completely different person. Then you went to prison. You felt that weight off your shoulders. When you got out and you now had a criminal history and you had to try to maneuver in society, did you? was there a temptation to do that again, kind of in a reverse way? Because afraid to tell people who you really are or afraid to let them know your background or had you kind of settled that already uh, in your mind? Um, I thought I had settled that in my mind, but when I got out um, and was in the halfway house and then walking around uh, in the world, I I did have those feelings come back again where I began to be protective again. Um, However, I, you know, we started our own Bible study again in the, in the, in the halfway house, and as we were sharing, exchanging our stories, what's working, what's not, we all came to the conclusion, you know, we can't hide it, and why should we? Mm-hmm. Um, we, we made a mistake. Um, we're asking for a second chance. We're different people now. I'm a different person now. And so I don't know when that epiphany hit me, but certainly shortly after I had been in the halfway house for a period of time, I thought, I'm not hiding anymore. I, I made that mistake once. I'm not going to make that mistake again. And I, I've been pretty straightforward and, and frontal about who I am, what I did, um, what I learned from that, and, and how I'm moving, um, uh, certainly moving forward. Um, you know, I'm a different person. Um, God is in my life. I'm creating incredible relationships with my sons again. Oh, good. Um, so, so now I, I'm almost proud of what has happened because not many people face adversity. Not people, many people uh, get knocked on their feet and are able to get back up. I felt like I got back up and, and for my sons, I'm a living testimony of, of, of what not to do. And if you do find yourself in a bind, here's some of the things you can do uh, to get out from underneath that. And so my sons and I attend church uh, regularly. That wasn't happening before. And so I think we talked about this before, Pastor Paul, you, you, you know, had this not have happened, I, I'm not sure where I would have ended up. Um, and so for me, despite those trials and tribulations, I'm in a much better place. Hmm. How long did it take you to develop that relationship with your sons after uh, getting out of prison? Was that already in process while you were in prison? Yeah, that was already in process mm-hmm. when I was in prison. I talked to them. Literally every day. Um, while you're in prison, you get a 15-minute call a day. Um, and so um, I, I took full advantage of that. So every day I would call them and we'd have conversations. They would come and visit. And so they were younger, so they a lot of curiosity about, you know, what was going on mm-hmm. inside and, you know, who's your friend? Do you like that guy who just walked by? Mm-hmm. Um, and then through the halfway house, um, I would talk to them every day. Um, and so probably the, the biggest moment is when I got out. Um, I took them to school, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and so on their first day, and so that just brought joy to me. Um, and then the following Sunday, we went to church and prayed about um, just our successful week and wow. and being happy about where we are today. Normalcy. Normalcy, yeah. exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and just as they grew, just having adult conversations with your sons, it was um, it was amazing. Yeah. Well, God continues to work in all these different situations, and uh, you're a living testament of that. And, you know, your your story is one that um, resonates with a lot of people when you talk about adversity 
because everyone faces some kind of adversity. Um, we don't like to talk about it very much sometimes. Um, and we look around our churches and people feel like everyone's got their lives together, so they don't like to uh, show who they really are. But what's going on behind those uh, smiling faces a lot of times are some pretty difficult things. How have you been able to give back to people um, based on what you've learned uh, through this whole experience? Um, I, you know, I think, first of all, how I've been able to give back is just to tell my story. Because like you said, a, a lot of people don't want to pull that curtain. Um, on the outside, you know, they're all smiles and everything looks um, – you know, uh, American pie and, and, you know, milk and, and cookies. And certainly for some, that's quite the opposite is happening in their lives. So a lot of it is just having that conversation and telling people, here's my story. Here's what I've learned. Please don't make the same mistake. And, and one of the mistakes I made was thinking I could do this on my own, uh, thinking that I didn't need to talk or share um, what was going on in my life with anyone. Uh, one of the things that I've done and I tell people about all the time is that I've formed kind of my own board of directors. And so when you think of companies, they have their board of directors that provide guidance, making sure that company's on the right path, uh, that they're doing the right things um, in business and in the community. Well, I've formed my own board of directors. So, uh, you know, Brian Hegseth uh, is one of those individuals that is in my board of directors. I have a couple of close friends and a pastor, and there's about six of them. And I meet with them regularly, and we just talk. And and sometimes it's not – it could be about a basketball game. It sure. might not be about God or anything else, yeah. but we just get together and talk. And just make sure that we're open and we're sharing and exchanging and telling our story. And I encourage others to do the same. Um, you know, don't keep it in. Uh, form your own board of directors, so to speak. Um, and um, you're not alone. Um, people are there. People want to help. But they can't help you if they don't know um, what kind of trials and tribulations you're going through. Yeah. And well, I always think of Paul, too. You know, I, yo, can, yeah. I can do this through him who strengthens, strengthens me. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I tell that story all the time. Yeah. Well, Paul um, spent time in chains, and yes. so he kind of understood what that whole thing was all about. Right. You know? Um, so do you ever worry that you're going to go back to the person you were? And how do you kind of wrestle with, you know, moving forward and seeing yourself continuing to get closer and closer to Christ and so forth? Um, I don't worry about that at all because of my relationship with Christ. I pray every day. Um, I, like I said, I have my board of directors that are there to support me. Um, so I, I, I don't have those worries. But I worry about people that I spent time with that haven't connected with mm. with um, with God mm -hmm. because everything when you get out of prison is set up against you. Um, you, you, you know, it's hard to find a, a job because of your record. It's hard to find a place to live uh, because of your record. You, you can't vote until you're off paper. It's, it's almost this perpetual punishment that you mm -hmm. uh, can't seem to get underneath from. Um, my release paperwork, you know, my, my crime is theft, yet I had this whole checkbox of things, items that I could not do. Um, mm -hmm. I, I could not have... Uh, alcohol. I could not be in a bar. I could not have weapons. Uh, stuff I wouldn't do anyway. Yeah, but but, but 
Restrictive. It just felt like trappings yeah. for individuals. So yeah. let's just throw everything at you that you can't do, despite the fact y- your infraction is a small piece over here. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it feels like, um, you know, it's trappings to return people back to prison. Uh, and I think that's why recidivism is so high. But it's less and lower with those folks that partake in faith-based programs. And so I try to deliver that message um, to uh, people that I see, that I spent time with all the time. Again, trying to expand the kingdom, but also trying to help those individuals um, on the right path. And uh, the the company that you're um, that's recording us on video right now, Five Stone Media, uh, is the author of Lifeblood Curriculum, and, and you found that to be incredibly helpful, didn't you? It was um, it was a life changer for me, and I, I, I think if we could set up these Lifeblood uh, programs throughout the city or you know throughout the country for folks that are reentering into the workplace, I, I think the success rate would be uh, immense. Um, I think. That's what we're missing. Um, you're, you're alone so much during that time. You come out and you're alone again if you haven't found that fellowship. And, mm-hmm. and like I said, my time with Lifeblood or with Bible study, it was more than just that. It was an opportunity to learn about other people's talents and, and assets, share your own, and in that, um, build each other up. Uh, we talked about life. We talked about family. Uh, we talked about friendship. And it was a connection that was um, transformational. It's a connection that I still have with many of the individuals that I spent time with um, in prison. It's a, a connection that I'll, I'll never forget. And sometimes we just see each other in passing, and it's just an eye look, and it's that look that yeah, I know we're one. Yep, that's right. Yeah, yeah, we know. Yeah, yeah. we know. We're it's exactly it. We know. Yeah. And so I fear for people that that haven't had that experience, that haven't had that opportunity that I had. Yeah. Well, God is always um working around the edges. I remember, you know, we our family was on the other side of the equation. We were the victims trying to relate to our perpetrator, and so they had this um, you know, justice thing, you know, for victims and and this was in British Columbia, Canada, and we're meeting our our officer for the first time, and we're going to go visit this guy that that did this. And and um, he goes, oh, by the way, he goes like, um, British Columbia doesn't know this, but both of us are pastors, the two of us that work here, <laughs> and so we understand what you're trying to do. Yeah. And I thought, what are the odds? And you know, there's five million people that live there, and the government has no interest in whatsoever of hiring believers. <laughs> and here are the two people working with us that are both. Pastors, <laughs> former pastors. And so, you know, God is always there. He's yes. always doing that kind of crazy stuff. Right. And just when we start to think that he's bowed out, he just comes up with another good idea. Yes. And all of a sudden he shows up. Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, and I also found that um, he has a sense of humor, too. Uh, yeah. When I went to the halfway house, the place that I worked at that I got fired from, when I looked out my window at the halfway house, I could see the front of the no. building. And, and so <laughs> yeah. I could tell there was a sense of humor that every time I woke up or went to bed, oh, there's where it happened. There it is, yeah. But for me, I took that to mean don't be ashamed. Tell your story. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to hide. Um, you're out there. Just let people know. And so I, that's kind of my model um, and, and hopefully my way of helping others. I, if, if they can see that I can be open, that I can share – uh, even things that are embarrassing um, that maybe they can too. It's mm-hmm. similar to watching John Turnipseed and others on yeah. Lifeblood. Yep. Watching them, I had hope. 
if they can do it, I can too. Well, if people see me and go, well, he can share his story, embarrassing as it is, as hurtful as it was, if he can do that, why not me? Yeah. No reason for shame. No reason for shame. I Forgiven have no by shame. Christ. Yep. Yes. Well, you're an amazing guy, David. Thank you so much for dropping by, and I wish you the very best. I think your story is going to help a lot of people. Just keep telling it and do it and just be yourself because you are you have a very compelling story, and I think the thing that just um, I love by talking to you is just very honest. You're upfront. You're just who you are, and I think you've had to learn how to do that, but you've gotten there. Yeah. So well done. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. And you know what? You have hope, too, because uh, of what we've been talking about. God is never outside of, um, outside of your life or your reach. Second Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is patient. He is kind. And though you may feel like you're a screw-up and you continue to do things wrong, um, God is still a patient God. And he's saying to you, don't worry, I'm here. Um, My son went to the cross to die for you. And you don't need to live in shame and you don't need to be so hard on yourself. And David's story is really a wonderful reminder of that. Our sponsors make this show possible, and I'm so appreciative of them. Faith Radio at MyFaithRadio.com has given us this outlet where we thank them. Uh, And again, you can see a video version of this podcast at Five Stone Media. They are the author of this Lifeblood curriculum. If you're interested in that at all, um, you can contact Five Stone Media. And if you're uh, in a church, if you're a pastor, a ministry worker, and you want to know how to deal with trauma, Five Stone Media is where you need to go at FiveStoneMedia.com. And you can also check us out here at Ridgewood Church at MyRWC.org. I'm so glad you listened, and we'll catch you next time on Life Support. listening to this life support podcast these conversations are available because of listener support you can make a gift now at myfaithradio.com to avoid missing future editions of life support subscribe to the podcast today at itunes or your podcast player and thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of life support